Welcome to the Israel Daily News Podcast. I'm your host, Shanna Fold, and I'm here to get you caught up quickly. I've got some top news stories for you today from Israel, and guess what? You're listening, so you're already on top of your game. Survive and thrive, people. Knowledge is the best weapon. Today is Tuesday, September 26th, 2023, in the Gregorian calendar, and the 11th of Tishrei, 5784 in the Hebrew calendar. Wow, do I have news for you today. I am both the news giver and the content of the news. I have a lot for you, and it's going to come straight from the source. Now, let's get to the news. Messages of support are pouring in from so many members and non-members of the tribe Tel Aviv community and the Tel Aviv community at large. What I am about to share with you is both top headline news today in the country and unfortunately also my personal story and experience. The news was about me this weekend and many other people who live like me and live the way that I live and observe the holiday of Yom Kippur the way that I do and in whatever way of observance they choose and they were attacked, we were attacked for that this weekend. Let me explain. Yom Kippur, the Jewish holiday of atonement, came in on Sunday evening. Now, during the COVID pandemic, many organizations like mine, by the way, when I'm not a journalist, I'm running events for Olim Chadashim. That means new immigrants that are returning to the Holy Land. They're Jews. They are coming back to their homeland after 2,000 years of exile. And we have an organization, my, myself and Rabbi Jonathan Feldman, run something called Tribe Tel Aviv. We've been running it for about four years and many organizations like our like us took our religious services out to the streets and hosted programs in parks and open squares. We did that during COVID. We've always gotten amazing feedback from people that were passing by, joining in, and particularly when the holiday goes out and we hear that final shofar blast at the closing Na'ila prayer. So many people would come hear the sound of the ram's horn blow and in previous years it has been a moment of unity and beauty and the sun is setting and all the people of Tel Aviv are together in the square bringing in the new year. And this is how it's been for the last few years. This year was different. This year, all of that unity was ruined. Myself and Rabbi Jonathan Feldman of Tribe Tel Aviv found ourselves in the center of turmoil. We did not expect that the frustrations of protesters against the judicial overhaul, which I've been covering here on this show, would spill over into an attack on a group of young Olim or English Immigrants, English-speaking immigrants who have come back to their homeland of Israel. Our plan was to run Yom Kippur services outdoors as we have done in the past three years at Kikar Habima or Habima Square or Habima Plaza. It is a plaza next to the city's biggest theater. We've been here for a few years now. 
The prayer service draws in mostly our community of young Olim from all over the world. France, America, South America, Australia, Europe, you name it, we've got someone from that country. But because we do the Yom Kippur program outdoors, we often find ourselves joined by a lot of people, older folks, native Israelis, curious non-Jews, and people who are just walking by and want to stop in for holiday feel. We also get many people who feel, for whatever their reason is, adverse to entering a synagogue, and our outdoor prayer program is a better fit for them. Our programs are English-friendly with explanations to make the experience more meaningful for people who didn't grow up with Hebrew as their first or second language. So we had set up chairs on two sides of a divider, as we've always done, not realizing that a law had just been shockingly upheld forbidding separate gender prayer. Now, apparently, there's been a rule about this since 2018, but nobody knew about it, and it's only now being upheld and reinforced this year. I reported a bit about this last week, but because the city had granted us, Tribe Tel Aviv, the right to use the space and also provided us with the chairs, I thought that our small service would not be bothered and that we were not going to be a part of this movement, which I'm going to tell you about, a movement of not having the genders separated, even though this is something that Jews have been doing forever and it's well accepted by many, many of the Jewish community. There was a lot of trouble around an organization called Rosh Yehudi. Rosh Yehudi is an Orthodox synagogue whose lead rabbi, or I should say an Orthodox community, whose lead rabbi, Rabbi Egal Levenstein, is known to have made homophobic comments in the past. He was mobbed by LGBTQ supporters in Tel Aviv about a week ago, and the man had to be escorted out of a synagogue by after he had given a sermon. This rabbi runs a pre-army preparatory yeshiva program in the West Bank, a lot of people have trouble with this organization because they apparently have a mission to try to bring secular Jews back to their religious roots. Now, I'm not even going to insert any opinion here. I'm just giving you the facts. Rosh Yehudi had a whole discussion with the city of Tel Aviv. They had been told that they could not host a program with a divider. Now, they were expecting to have some 2,000 worshipers joining them at their program at Kikar Dizengoff, which is another square not too far away. The program has gotten really popular over the years for being in the most central place of Tel Aviv, and they said that they couldn't host their programs without the divider, that they needed the divider. A divider, we're saying in English, but in Hebrew, it's called a mechitza. Now, after some back and forth arguing about religious freedoms versus city rulings, the group agreed not to have a mechitza or a divider. On the day of event, they used Israeli flags as a symbolic divider instead of a more prominent divider. Tension was already in the air over there, but things seemed calm for our small group, which was slowly assembling as the holiday was entering on Sunday evening. As we began Kol Nidre, some five or six blocks away from the Rosh Yehudi crowd, Kol Nidre, by the way, being the opening ceremony of, of this holiday, we had about 100 people, with others passing by, coming over to join or listen, and then they continued to walk, some stayed, after Rabbi Feldman spoke for 15 to 20 minutes about the 50th year commemoration of the Yom Kippur War, we started the evening service. 
we began to notice comments being made. People started to walk by and make nasty notes at us, sneer at us. One woman pointed her finger in the rabbi's face. We began to understand that separate seating services had really been forbidden and that everybody was against, uh, that everybody wanted to uphold it or that people that were coming to us. And then we understood that it was a ruling that had just been given two days prior, meaning Friday morning, apparently it was sealed. It was apparently even reinforced by the Supreme Court on the same day as Yom Kippur, meaning that this local city ruling went up to the Supreme Court, apparently, on Sunday, on the day of Yom Kippur. For people who are actually preparing for Yom Kippur, trust me, people are drinking water and getting meals into their bellies, not worrying about the news and not keeping up on on Supreme Court rulings. It is a fast day for Jews. Yom Kippur is a day where Jews do not eat or drink for 24 hours And we did not have the rules clear. And how should we? A ruling being shared on the day of a holiday to disrupt prayer on the day of a holiday? Absolutely absurd. Things got really threatening. When someone carrying an LGBTQ flag approached our group in the middle of our prayer and violently dragged the metal divider away as it screeched across the cement ground. I instinctively and immediately came after this guy, telling him in Hebrew that it was seriously not nice what he was doing in the middle of our prayer service. And I said it in Hebrew. There have been a number of clips and videos of this scene of me defending our community and they're spreading all around the internet. People are sending them to me. You can see me all dressed up, upset. I did not realize somebody had recorded it. But a photographer magically appeared a few minutes before that scene and took what looked like friendly photos of our community sitting down ready for prayer. I thought that it was nice. But then I quickly realized that perhaps he had been planted there by protesters themselves. Rabbi Feldman came after me as I was telling this guy not to touch our stuff and to stay away from us. And he told me not to engage and that we did not need the mechitza. We did not need the divider. And we left it off to the side. Okay, no divider. I walked away very troubled, and I noticed that other protesters slowly started to trickle in, surrounding our program in a circle. The disruptors, despite our mechitza was now gone, and by the way, not only did our mechitza get taken away, but we had women sitting in the men's section and men sitting in the women's section, and that was fine by us. We did not insist that anybody do anything. Everything was chill. Rabbi Feldman responded to me saying that we didn't need it. Despite our our mechitza was now gone, Rabbi Feldman responded to one of the protesters explaining to him that we no longer had the divider or separate services. Of course, we tried to explain that our organization is meant for everybody in the few moments that we had and that that's the point of us. The shouting became louder and louder They became more and more disruptive. Rabbi Feldman, God bless his heart, stayed perfectly calm. He instructed everybody not to engage and continue the service. That became impossible. Protesters wheeled their bicycles, electric and regular, into the middle of our service. They started blowing whistles and yelling over our prayer. People said mean things to us. When they realized we were olim from all over the world, Many told us to go back to where we came from. This was the single-handed most difficult comment for me to bear. This message was yelled out loud to everyone 
and also spoken to me directly eye to eye. Someone had the audacity, an Israeli Jewish person had the audacity to come to me, look me in my eye and tell me to go back to where I came from and to go home and actually stated that the state of Israel does not want us here. It was heartbreaking. I shouted back to one of them that we Jews have heard that message before. Then it was silent. Most of these people were in their 60s and up. Just noting, I didn't see a lot of young people involved in this, although I heard that there were young people in different protests. Oh, yeah, it wasn't just us. Every outdoor program was accosted by protesters over Yom Kippur. People used profanity to speak to me. Despite I was dressed beautifully, I was patient, I was very, I was standing there with a smile on my face. One man cursed in my face. He was just an inch away from my face. I asked him if that was the mouth that he uses to kiss his mother with. And he said, yes, it was. Another man got so close to our young ladies in the front row that were sitting down for prayer that I squeezed myself in between him and these young ladies. And I told him it was inappropriate how close that he was and that he needed to back up. I told him, you are simply too close for comfort. He mocked me in my face and spent the next hour repeating that he was too close to me in a variety of voices and in a variety of ways whether he was in front of me behind me to the side of me that guy really wound me up I'll tell you you're not supposed to get wound up by these people but this guy was incessant I kept fairly calm I'll tell you that I was cool I was collected I used my voice but I didn't lose it. One woman from the community gave me her little fan that she had brought with her to keep cool, and I took it and I used it to keep my hands busy as I was angry and I needed to keep my fists full because people were coming up to me and I needed to make sure that I was in control. So I'm fanning myself with my fan. I also used that fan to make a separation between angry protesters who were putting their faces into the faces of my female community. I literally used that fan to keep people's mouths away from the faces of my community members who were spitting just by being so close that they were talking. I had to do something to just keep people away. I really felt that. The rabbi at one point saw my disturbance. At one point, my voice cracked as that one protester that I mentioned to you that had made fun of me for speaking. He, by the way, he made fun of me for speaking English and told me that I'm not Israeli because I don't speak, speak Hebrew. I responded to him in perfect Hebrew, by the way, out loud, that I definitely speak Hebrew, that I do speak Hebrew, and that he was wrong. At that point, Rabbi Feldman told me to go on and get out of here. He told me to go ahead and pray in a nearby synagogue because he wanted me to calm down. I walked a half a block and turned around. I could not leave my community there. Not one community member was going to be left behind. I felt like they were in a burning house and I was the chief firefighter. I went, I turned right back around. I walked away just to catch myself, turned right back around. I came back. I stayed by my ladies. Many of them were still there. And when I came back, one of them broke down into tears in front of my eyes and I hugged her and I told her it was okay. The rabbi realized it was not viable to continue our program. We stopped prayer and formed a circle to engage in discussion and Torah, story, Torah study in a circle, an egalitarian co-ed circle. Our participants were extremely upset and did not understand how Jews could disrupt other Jews in prayer on Yom Kippur. 
the holiest day of the year, and in the middle of Tel Aviv, a place we have all come to specifically because we feel the most accepted here. They did not understand how there could be so much anger and hatred and how the police had to move closer to make sure that the demonstrators did not become more aggressive. I personally asked officers and had to ask officers to get involved. They were parked with their vehicle nearby, but they weren't next to us. They were still too far away. They told me, I went over there to talk to them. They told me that they would only step in if there was violence. I told them that by being so close to my members, it was already violent and already intimidating. We didn't need someone to raise a hand to someone else. It was already too aggressive. At one point, Rabbi Feldman was surrounded in a circle of protesters who literally encircled him and were shouting, Busha, Busha, Busha. It's a chant in Hebrew that in English translates to shame, shame, shame. I nearly browned out at this point from complete shock. You know, like when the windows are foggy? That happened to me. He was supported by some bigger men from our community that got up and joined him in the circle so that he wouldn't be alone in the circle. Can you imagine a group of protesters shouting shame at a rabbi on Yom Kippur? By the time the height of the disturbance was over, almost all of our chairs that we had set up were being sat in by demonstrators. Our community had dispersed. We were left with the worst of humanity in our spaces. And I felt that we had been eaten by them. The demonstrators were satisfied that they had disrupted our prayer on Yom Kippur, but were strangely milling about, keeping their eyes on us. We had moved into a circle to have a Torah-based discussion at this point, and some people began shouting, Democratia. That's the chant the protesters have been saying on Saturday nights to show opposition to the Supreme Court reforms that the government has been pushing through regarding the court system. So off, so out of place. And many of our community members have likely been a part of those liberal left-wing political protests. But this was a prayer, not a game of politics. And I'll tell you something else. Many of my formerly left-wing community have reported to me specifically, sent me messages today to tell me that they now feel more right-wing than they ever felt before because now they feel ostracized by the progressive left community that they thought that they were a part of as as religious people living in Tel Aviv. At one point, they began rifling through our books. They called us missionaries, which was shocking. And the guy who was annoying me that I mentioned to you, he continued to be the most annoying. Speaking in perfect English, he was bending our pamphlets and poking fun at me. I came over to get them. I told them to take their hands off of our stuff. They were rifling through our sidurim, our books, and they told me that they were protesters and not thieves. I was not happy. I did not care. They needed to back up. They were going through all our materials. Realizing that they had nothing more to do, they still did not leave and stood by in a menacing way. Rabbi Feldman invited them to come sit down with us so that they could discuss things in a calm way. They all refused to do so. They said that they did not want to talk. When Rabbi Feldman asked them if they were open-minded, they said no and repeated that they did not want us here. People also asked me if I, quote, even live in Tel Aviv. I've been here for five years, by the way. It was very antagonistic. At one point, I spotted the deputy mayor of transportation named Meital Lahavi. 
We at Tribe Tel Aviv had her as a speaker for the Sunset Series. So I pulled her to the side. She recognized me. And I pulled her into the crowd. And she, we were in the middle of the crowd. And she explained to me that the protesters were conflating our service with the Rosh Yehudi service. And that they were doing, and that what they were doing was not nice at all, but that they were confused. She then looked at my open-toed sandals. She looked down at my shoes and said, you see, I can see that you're not so religious because your toes are out. You're not so religious like them over at Rosh Yehudi. It, they, they don't understand who you are, she says. Well, I gently, two times over, explained to her that it does not matter my level of orthodoxy or that my toes are exposed. No one deserves this treatment. Well, she didn't really go with me on that. When protesters asked why we were here, Rabbi Feldman told them that we've been here for the past three years and are continuing our prayer, which was open to everyone. It was so sad to see the anger and the animosity in the faces of our fellow Jews, and it was over our prayers. Because at this point, remember, we didn't have a divider. They refused to see if there was any room to share perspectives or even find a way to reconcile, and it was the Day of Atonement. They felt we were praying in public to incite them. One person used the phrase, poke us in our eye. He and Rabbi Feldman assured them, we came here to pray. We did not know about this new ruling. We're not here to poke you in your eye. Rabbi Feldman said this, even if I had known, I still would have exercised what has become an acceptable form of expression in Israel, civil disobedience in the face of what one considers a miscarriage of justice. I personally spoke with some people when things were a little bit more calmed down, and I'm going to give you the other side of the story. Protesters say they feel that the religious people are taking over the country. One person said that parks and public spaces can have prayer, but not have gender separations. Another person commented that if it had been a group of Muslims praying with separate prayer, segregated gender by prayer, that no one in Tel Aviv would have ever dared to approach them and protest a Muslim prayer. It was just because we were fellow Jews, they felt that they could antagonize us. I could not agree with that commentary anymore. There are Muslims in our country that do separate outdoor programming. Nobody goes and, and um, antagonizes them. On my walk home, I saw a group of young people playing cards at a table that they had set up. One of them was a young man who had approached me at our prayer service earlier when we were under attack. He had approached me and told me in English not to be upset and that not all Israelis share the views of the protesters and that what they were doing was not nice and that he gives me his full support. It was such a light at that moment. Before he left, he told me that our nation is crumbling. He said this in English. I told him, don't say that. We are going to rise up and overcome this in unity and with love. This is what I told him. Later on, I saw him again. I went over to him. He was sitting down playing cards with his friends. And I, and I thanked him for throwing in a positive word amidst a heap of destruction. He went on to say it was no problem and that there are many people with many different views and that he's even friends with people that have different views. He pointed to his friend sitting beside him and said that he had been out with the protesters. I was in shock. The friend was sitting right there next to him. I asked him, you were one of the people who went out to disrupt a prayer service on Yom Kippur? I was in complete shock. I, I wanted to cry. He proudly said yes. I had words with him. I asked him, why didn't he come protest us last year? To which he responded to me, why didn't the Me Too movement happen 10 years before it did?
Well, he lost me right there. I told him not to use that line on a first date. He didn't think it was funny, but his female friends at the table gave me a laugh. He told me that Tel Aviv is a secular city and that anyone who wants to be publicly religious should get out or move to B'nai Brock, which is a heavily Orthodox city nearby. I was appalled. I asked him, where is it written? I said, where is it written that Tel Aviv is a secular city? He said to me, it's not written, but you can find it in Wikipedia. Well, after the holiday, I checked. I didn't see the word secular appear even one time on that Wikipedia page about Tel Aviv. I asked him that if he is a progressive liberal, how can he not see that by telling people what to do and how to pray and how to sit, that that's outside of the concept of religious pluralism, which is supposed to be a foundation for progressives. He said he is not for religious pluralism and that he wants to keep the religious people out of Tel Aviv. He doesn't want religious pluralism. He wants his way. He believes that he is the owner of Tel Aviv. I left this conversation in shock. The injustice of the situation was accentuated further at Ne'ila, the closing ceremony just before the fast ends and the chauffeur is blown. The holiday was winding down Monday late afternoon. We gathered the fragments of our community that found the strength and courage to come back and show up to our planned spot. We organized into a circle to study at the square. We had moved our prayer to a synagogue a few blocks away, so we were waiting for people to come, and we met for some prayer, and then we took everybody with us to a, a private indoor space, which a lot of the people that were, that were protesting said, if you want to pray with a mechitza, you have to do it inside. You cannot do it in public. A conservative rabbi, whom Rabbi Feldman knew from before, actually approached us and told us that he had been asked at the last minute to lead a mixed service at Habima Square, where we were undoubtedly, we assume, it was organized right before Yom Kippur, when people realized that the large numbers of people who usually come to join in on our services, where we have our final shofar blowing, would have nowhere to go because we had been booted out. So Rabbi Feldman believes that somebody had to, at the last minute, pull something together. He sympathized with our plight and told us that he believed we should have the right to pray as we wish. He asked about the chairs that we had gotten from the city. He saw that they were stacked up nearby, unfortunately not because we were going to use them. And Rabbi Feldman told him that we had brought them there. He asked if he could use them. Rabbi Feldman gladly agreed, saying that he wanted people to pray. The presence of the other service only reinforced the complete absurdity of this situation, where it seemed that the city had decided how and where people should or should not pray and what it should look like. His program was shaping up into what looked like a mixed circle of people standing in a circle. Ours had been seated in neat rows with a section for men and a section for women a couple of feet away. Equal in size, by the way. I don't like it when the women's section is small, cramped, and, and ugly, and the men's section is abundant and air-conditioned, okay? But at, this, is, this was not the case for us. Rabbi Feldman sends this message on behalf of our community. He says this, We pray that our Jewish nation should find a way to go forward together, even with our differences in outlook, and that angry confrontation should be replaced with discussion and brotherly love, and that we should all make efforts to understand each other and find ways to coexist. For me, I say this. Sunday night, I was broken and sad for myself. The trauma of our community was on me, and the difficulties of our nation and what our people are going through was on me. I won't lie, I came home and wept. I wept. I could not sleep. The rabbi reported to me privately that he woke up very early in the morning and couldn't fall back. Who could sleep after such an evening? It was haunting. 
We are the Jewish state. We are here to be able to pray and be Jews. The hatred that I saw on people's faces with their mouths twisted up, their eyes piercing, it was heartbreaking and jarring. I'm shocked. And in that evening, I could not believe that Jews had the audacity to do something like this to other Jews on the holiest and most sacred day of the year. I am sure that the protesters were not fasting. They were plenty energized to fuel up their fire internally and externally as they passed through on their bicycles. Tel Aviv, since people don't drive on the holiday, they all are on bicycles. It's a thing. It's a weird thing. In Tel Aviv, Yom Kippur is a day for riding your bike, okay? I didn't make that up. For me, it's all arbitrary. People won't drive to honor the holiday, but they feel comfortable breaking up prayer. I feel that things in this world are so arbitrary this week. People make up arbitrary rules that fit them. Today, I saw misrepresentations of these events in the news. It really made me think. And now that I've eaten, gotten some sleep, gotten some caffeine, I am much better than I was on Sunday night. I plan to bolster my leadership, remind immigrants why they are here, and offer comfort to those who have been put out by a small group of haters. I'll be giving a talk about this tomorrow night for our Tribe Tel Aviv community. So that's Wednesday night to a group. I'll explain some of the events that happened, the deep-rooted politics that are involved. There's so much more to this story, by the way. This all stems from ideological issues, generational issues, anti-religion issues, issues that stem from the creation of kibbutzim on this country in this country there's a lot here and i'm sure that many of you are aware of it but it all boiled up to the top this time let me know your thoughts with a comment on spotify or on our instagram post that is going to be coming out today you can put your comment there just know that i am not going to be stopped and i will continue on in a message of love in a message of brotherly and sisterly love and that we all have a place in the land of israel Israel's police commissioner, Kobe Shabtai, is acknowledging a job well done by the country's police over the weekend. He cited ongoing terror threats that came to us from our Palestinian neighbors. Thankfully, everyone made it through the holiday physically safe, aside from some biking accidents, which happens every year. Stone throwers and reckless drivers were arrested during Yom Kippur, and police remained on high alert for more serious incidents in areas with serious security escalations. The Israel police spokesperson recommended that Jews carry weapons on Yom Kippur to enhance personal security in light of heightened risks during the Jewish high holidays. People are suspecting that Iran had an explosion. Reports say it shook the vicinity of Karamabad, Iran, prompting speculation of a sabotage operation at an underground ballistic missile base. Witnesses say they heard a significant blast and felt tremors though official sources initially denied any seismic activity. Situated about 35 kilometers away, the Imam Ali base is one of Iran's underground missile silos known for producing medium-range missiles that are capable of reaching Israel, by the way. While the cause remains under investigation, some suggest Israel's Mossad agency carried out the operation using attack drones. I want to thank all of you for your interest in Israeli affairs, Israeli politics, our world politics. I also want to thank all of you who personally finance and fund the Israel Daily News podcast with monthly contributions. If you would like to support us at the Israel Daily News podcast, you can send over a monthly contribution as well. And you can also sign up on patreon.com backslash Shanna Fold if you'd like to join us for our next 
Israel Daily News Roundtable, where we have listeners from our show come together and hash out the news and talk about our feelings. You can support us by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Two, you can share the show with a friend. And three, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at IsraelDaily.News, as well as Shanna Fold. My name has two N's in it, and I'm very sensitive about that. You can also find us on Twitter at Israel Podcast. Israel made a premature announcement that Israelis will no longer need paper visas to enter the U.S. I heard the news last night at a breakfast I attended, but now the United States Embassy is upset and calling it a premature announcement, stating that the decision is not yet final. The foreign ministry states that Israelis with biometric passports would be able to obtain a visa within 72 hours of their initial online request and that it would be valid up to 90 days. The implementation is expected to be rolled out in just a few weeks. Foreign Minister Ellie Cohen hails it as a diplomatic achievement that will benefit the economy and tourism, reducing bureaucracy and costs. The program aims to enhance ties between Israel and the U.S. by allowing Israelis to enter the United States with, without having to jump through hoops to get a visa. Americans are allowed to, by the way, enter Israel without pre-organizing a visa. Archaeologists at the Tel Shimron site in northern Israel have unearthed a remarkably well-preserved structure dating back 3,800 years to the Middle Bronze Age. They discovered a passageway and a large vault constructed from thousands of mud bricks. It represents the first known instance of corbelled architecture in Israel. Corbelling involves stacking bricks inward to form a vaulted ceiling. This technique was common in ancient Mesopotamia, but had not been previously found in the southern Levant region. The site is located in the Jezreel Valley and was once a major city on a prominent trade route. Excavations began in 2016. The structure's excellent preservation indicates it was only used for a short period before being buried, preventing deterioration or water damage. The site is expected to reveal more about the area's urbanization, city-state development, and Canaanite culture, for which the Jewish people are supposed to have emerged from. The findings offer insight into the power and influence of Tel Shimron during this time period, highlighting its significance as an international hub for trade. The researchers plan to resume excavations to uncover one of two typical structures found in ancient cities, a temple district, or a royal palace. I'll have to keep you updated on which one this site was. All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Today is Tuesday, September 26th, 2023. Tel Aviv has a low of 22 degrees Celsius and a high of 30 degrees. That's 72 degrees Fahrenheit for the low, going up to 86 degrees for the high. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing it from. We are everywhere. Don't forget to sign up to our Israel Weekly News Wrap. The Israel Weekly News Wrap is a newsletter with the top five stories coming out of Israel from throughout the week. And of course, I always add in a personal note from myself at the top. You can sign up for that at IsraelDaily.News. I want to send a big thank you to our social media director, Michelle Milner. I'm going to send you off now with a song called No More Control by Eugene Korolap. Enjoy this song and have a great and productive day and an excellent week. Shana Tova, everyone. Have a very happy new year. Keep on.
Just say no. 